verse 4 to 18. Let's start from verse 3. Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of the Lord, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for the priests to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man, to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? He looked around them all and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When the morning came, he, came to his, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James the son of Aphias, Simon, who was also called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who was to become a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those who troubled, those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Um, let's end there. When I looked at the title of growing, or being a growing or a fruitful Christian, one of the things, like the questions I asked, why the discipline? Why is being fruitful or being a growing Christian? Why does it require discipline? It requires discipline because it takes consistent training in obedience to God's law. Becoming a fruitful Christian does not just happen by accident. It happens by training. Training of ourselves. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about, um, likens the, the life of a Christian to that of a runner, of an athlete. When you study the life of an athlete, there are people who are disciplined. When we say somebody is disciplined, He's somebody who has a goal. He's somebody who's focused. He's somebody who does certain things, has certain actions and habits that help him, channel him towards that goal. The Apostle Paul understood this when he said, I beat my body. I subjected. 
I beat my body into subjection so that I don't get disqualified for the prize. He understood what discipline is. And that is what the Lord wants us as Christians to understand. That the moment you become a Christian, the moment you, you hear that word of God and you say, Lord, I receive you. Lord, I'm coming to you. You're entering into a life of discipline. You're entering into a life where you have, your focus is changing. Your focus is becoming something else. Your focus is changing from the focus you had uh, before you came to Christ. Your focus is about the price, ultimately. Your focus is about pleasing your new master. Your focus is about walking this life and how you can walk this life of, of, of renewal, this life, this Christian life that you've gotten yourself into. In Philippians 3, verse 13 and 14, let's just turn there. It's an example of what the understanding that Paul had in terms of the discipline that was required in the Christian life. Philippians 3, verse 14 and 15, it says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. When somebody says, I strain, strain speaks of a struggle. It's not something that you just, you know, walk over or walk through. It's a struggle. You strain towards something. And part of that straining, you know, for Paul, as he says in 1 Corinthians 9.27, is straining against his body, straining against his bodily desires, his personal desires. Why? Because he knew he could see the goal that was ahead of him. Even though it was not yet apparent, but he was straining. He understood that he needed, there were some things that he needed to take care of. There were some things that he needed to, to get rid of. There were some things that he needed to put in subjection so that he does not get disqualified for the prize. And as we, that's about discipline. And then we look at the word being. The title is The Discipline of Being a Growing or a Fruitful Christian. The word being. Why being? And I was sitting there and saying, Lord, why being? It's because it's an ongoing thing. But, you know, the moment you think, oh, I've gotten this lesson. Maybe if God is, is trying to teach you a lesson or trying to make you bear fruit and teach you a lesson, let's say, in forgiveness. The moment you grasp that and say, oh, I've done it. I can forgive now. I can forgive now. There is another lesson to be had. The moment you get hold of that lesson, there is another lesson to be had. The moment you learn that one, there is another lesson to be had. So being a fruitful Christian is not a one-time thing. It's a continuous. It's a process. It's a growth. The Bible calls it sanctification. We are being sanctified daily by his word. Sanctification until we get to glory. So I just want us this morning to just have that, to say, you know, it's, it's not a stage where we get to, where we say, oh, now I'm a mature Christian. No. 
when we get to that place, it's on the other side of glory. I mean, at, when we get to glory, on the other side of death, that's when we can say, oh God, yes, thank you. But as long as we're in this world, striving, training, maturing is something that is ongoing. Now let's look at the word fruitfulness. When I was meditating upon this, I said, God, fruitfulness, my fruitfulness. And then the Lord impressed upon my heart, say, you know, as I continue to search the scriptures, the Lord said, you know, fruitfulness is not, it's not an option for a Christian. It's not. In John 15, the, the, our Lord Jesus Christ likens us to branches on a vine. He says he is the vine and we are the branches. Now, the vine, when I was thinking about that, the vine in ancient Israel or ancient Palestine, it was a very important crop or plant in their lives because wine was important. It was the bee beverage. It was the beverage of the kings. It was a beverage of celebration. It was the beverage of festivals. The beverage of Passover was from the vine. So it was a very important thing. And it was something that people in that time could identify with very easily. So Christ likens us as believers, you know, the moment you come, the moment you hear the word of God and God, and, and, and you hear the word of God and you say, Lord, I accept you. I accept your word. I want to become a child of God. The word of God says we become grafted into. We can call ourselves children of God, not because we are Israelites, but because we have been grafted into Christ. We have been grafted into the vine. Now, in the same John 15, let's just go there so that we have the full perspective. In the same John 15, from verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will even it will, so that it will bear even more fruit. It says we are the branches and we are expected to bear fruit. And as we are being connected to the vine, as we bear more fruit, we are pruned. And pruning is something that is not, it's painful. Because when you prune a tree, you cut off some bad branches. You cut off some um, um, okay looking leaves and twigs and whatever. To you, to the untrained eye, it might look like, oh, this is okay. But to, to the skilled vine dresser, they know this branch, this thing, will just be eating food that is necessary make this branch more fruitful. I'm reminded, I think, of a story, I think it's Bruce Wilkinson, I think. He wrote a little book about the vine. 
and he told a story of how, you know, he was, um, I can't remember whether it was him or it was a story that was told to him about a man that was watching a, an, another man, a neighbor, who was hacking away at his vine, you know, that was, you know, on their border. And he was hacking away. And from the, neighbor, from the neighbor's perspective, it looked like the vine, the man was destroying the vine because he was cutting seemingly healthy branches. And he went to him and said, why are you destroying it? And the, and the neighbor said, you don't know much about vine dressing, do you? And the man says, no, unfortunately, I don't. And he said, unless I cut these off, it will not bear fruit. All that to say that as much as we are expected to bear fruit, even as we are connected to the vine, there is pruning that happens. As we are connected to the vine, we are pruned, we are cut, we are chopped down to the right size so that the, 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 the nutrients and the word of God that God is depositing into our lives finds is able to bear the fruit that God requires of us. The same sentiment about bearing fruit in Matthew chapter 8, I mean chapter 3 verse 8, Jesus was rebuking the Pharisees who on the outside, by all measures, worldly measures, they had, they had a, a form of godliness. These were the custodians of the law. They could recite the law to you. But they had no fruit. They had no fruit. And Christ was telling them, bear fruit. You don't have the fruit of godliness. Why? Because even though they knew the law, the law was just in their head. It did not make that journey to their heart to bring about a change of God, to bring about the necessary change that would convict them to make the necessary life changes. Because when you hear the word and it's in, our heart, it's in the head, it has to move down to the heart. When it moves down to the heart and it breaks the heart, and like David said, his heart was broken. Give me a heart of flesh. When it breaks the heart from the heart of stone, when it breaks the heart, then it can go make its way back to renew the mind. So that it becomes a mind that is fertile, a mind that is renewed, a mind that is open before God. The Bible says, you shall know them by their fruit. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 20, Christ was talking about people who have a form of godliness, prophets, false prophets. They have a form of godliness. We can say even today we have, we have those. And we can say even today we have Christians who, or even all of us, I can say, who we bear the name of Christ. But how good is our fruit? When people read us as a book, can they say, yeah, she's a Christian, yeah, he's a Christian. When I interact into the world, with the world or with my family, can my family truly testify that I am a Christian? Is the fruit that I'm bringing about 
is it the fruit that is good fruit or bad fruit? When I was thinking about fruitfulness, I was thinking, yeah, you know, even in the in the field of horticulture, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a long time since I went to school. <laughs> yes, um, you have you can have a vi- uh, you can have an orchard, and you can have you know several fruit trees in your in your in your yard, and we have even testified. To, mm, no, don't get from this tree. This tree, they are purpose, yes. But they are purpose in name only. Get from this tree. They are both purpose. They are both mangoes. They are both whatever. But one gets good fruit and one gets bad fruit. The one that gives bad fruit has only one sure end. Firewood. Firewood. And it's a daunting, daunting task. And I don't truly, I can't claim to truly understand the theology of it all. There's all this debate about when once you accept Christ, you're always a Christian, like your, your place is, is, all, is, is set in heaven. So it doesn't matter how you live. You can live or, you know, any which way, but you know, Christ shall never leave you nor forsake you. So you can do whatever you want. We'll go to heaven. There's that school of thought in theology. And then there's other school of thought that says, no. Yes, accepting Christ is the beginning. But you have to live a life that is befitting, a life that, um, that bears testimony to the, to the Christ that you've received. Now, I don't know who is correct and who is not, but I'd rather err on the side of caution and not leave every which way I want so that by the end of it, you know, when I die and, and I'm standing before my master in judgment, I shouldn't have said, oh, but no. I, 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 I was saying, you know, I was my Musa. I, I, I was, you know, I accepted Christ. I was singing the praise team. But he said, no, depart from me. I never knew you. So I leave the discussion of once a Christian, always a Christian, or once a, you can lose your salvation to the theologians. But for me, I would rather say, Lord, I know I'm not perfect. I know I can be stubborn at times, but create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me so that as I live this life and whenever you might decide to take me, let it be that I have been, that I've produced fruit and fruit that will last. Now let's look at the foundation of fruitfulness in the life of a believer. I know this it's not new because I know Pastor Magdaf and Pastor Sunde and other people who stood before you have spoken about this. We cannot do without obedience. I know in KICC probably the word obedience might be getting to the level of submission, you know, something that you've heard over and over and over again. It's, it's becoming to be, ugh. With, oh, obedience again, obedience again, you know, submission again. But that's just how it is. That's just the word of God. We cannot run away from obedience. What is obedience? The, the Bible I was using, I mean the dictionary I was using, online dictionary, um, it said, it defined obedience as compliance with an order, a request, or a law. 
compliance with an order, a request, or a law. Submission to another's authority. Where submission is the action of accepting or yielding to a superior force to the will or authority of another person. And there was also a medical definition there to say the ability of an organ to distend in response to applied pressure. I like that because the Bible talks about us as we should present ourselves as living sacrifices. And there was a time when um, David Jeremiah was sharing and he said, you know, I've often prayed and said, God, I know you want me to be a living sacrifice, but the problem with a living sacrifice is that it has legs and it can use them to crawl down the altar. And many times, many times, I've crawled down the altar and said, hey, no, it's too hot, Lord. And I know you have also crawled down that altar. But the Bible says we should obey. We should allow ourselves to distend as the Lord applies the pressure in our lives. Whatever that form that pressure may come, as the Lord applies that pressure, we should allow him to let that pressure bring forth the fruit in us. Whether it's the fruit of patience, whether it's the fruit of forgiveness, whether it's the fruit of uh, trust, whether it's the fruit of faith, you know? How when, when, when you've been praying for something, when you've been praying and worshiping God and pastor has laid hands on you and you've gone to Pastor McDuff, pray for me in this way and that way, and, and things don't seem to, to happen in your life. Things don't seem to work out the way you want. And then, as you're in KICC and, you know, with Pastor McDuff, you come here and stand here. Brothers and sisters, the Lord has done it again. Sister Cynthia, the Lord has moved in our life. She's going to the U.S. or whatever is going to But Lord, what about me? Brothers and sisters, you know, the Lord has done it again in brother so-and-so. You know, he's just done this deal and, you know, he's won a contract of so much. And he's like, but Lord, am I invisible? In those times, that's pressure. It's pressure to say, God, you know what? I'm tired of this. I can't do this. I'm off. I will do me. You will do you. You know, I've done it. I, I've done it. Um, my shame, yes, I've done it. You know, there was a time when I felt God was taking too long in my life. I felt God, you know, the more I prayed, the more I served him, the more things weren't working out. And I said, God, you know, when I started this journey, I had visions. I had a vision for my life. I, I wanted it to go this way. I wanted to get married. And I wanted to have children. I wanted a good job. I wanted a car. I wanted to travel. I mean, that's not bad things. But where I'm going, I think you failed. So you know what, Lord? I'm just going to do it myself. I did that. And of course, I fell flat on my face. So, all that to say, obedience, it's about submitting. It's about allowing yourself to be distended. The Bible talks about 
we are the clay in the potter's hands. Sometimes, sometimes you think, oh yes, you know, things have started moving now, you know, things are falling into place, I've got the job, I've got this, or now my husband and I, you know, things are working, and so on and so forth, and boom, everything, you know, falls apart. And the Bible says, yes, he's the potter, we are the clay. He can make a clay and will come out like a, like, I mean, he can make a pot, will come out like a clay pot, and we might think, oh, he's finished with me. But if he sees a crook somewhere, that will be, um, that will be a scar on that pot, that will, that will threaten the integrity of that pot. He has the power to wreck it and start all over again. And when he does that, he wants you to submit. He wants me to submit. He wants me to obey. It's not easy. But in John chapter 15, Christ tells us that we are to remain in him. He wouldn't tell us to remain in him if there wasn't a possibility of us going away from him. I've already talked about living sacrifices. We tend to say, this is a hard teaching. I think I'm just going to chill. I'm just going to step back for a moment and just sort myself out with my God. That's how we say it. But God says, stay with me. Stay there. How do you stay when you're under pressure? How do you stay when things seem to be flying all over, when things don't seem to add up or things seem to be in a mess or just unraveling all around you? Sometimes it takes just, you know, being alone with God and say, God, I really don't know what's going on. But I'm, I'm here. Reaffirming. Just in the same way that you were affirmed and say, yes, Lord, I've heard your word. I've heard your call. I've heard you. I'm coming. I want Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Just in the same way you said that, you had to speak your faith. It also takes that speaking. Saying, Lord, right now, I would like to take things into my own hands. You know how I am. Right now, I don't feel like doing what you know, waiting right now, I feel like taking things into my own hands. But because it's you, I will wait. Because it's you, I'll stay where I am. Obedience. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus is calling all of us. He says, everyone who's weary and heavy laden, should come to him and he'll give us rest. There's so many, so many things that weigh down on us. School fees or, you know, prospective spouses or spouses you regret to have married. You know, courses that you regret to have done and probably children who don't seem to 
to listen to you anymore. You've got parents who seem to be parents from hell. All that, all those are burdens that we carry. But Christ says, come to me. Come, and I'll give you rest. My yoke and my burden is easy. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. It's no less a yoke. He didn't say, I'll break that yoke. No. He says, come to me and you exchange your yoke for mine. Why is Christ's yoke better? It's a yoke because it's, it's something that it was, we still have to be in line. It's something that keeps us in line. But it's something that is not going to break us. It's a yoke that when, when, when we carry it's a yoke that has, it's light. It was such a thing. The light. When Christ tells us to come to him and to learn from him, I look at learning. Learning requires humility. We've all been in class at some point or another. It requires humility for you to learn. To sit down in front of your teacher or your facilitator and whatever. It requires humility because when, you, when, you, when you're sitting down in front of that person, you are acknowledging that you don't know what they have to share. You don't know what they have to say. You're acknowledging that whatever knowledge or experience you have is limited. And whatever they have to share with you is something that is important, something that's going to help you. And that's what Christ requires of us, to learn from him. To learn from him. Most people don't, would never, never, never uh, describe ourselves as proud. I'm humble, Aunt Naomi. I'm, I'm humble. You know, I'm humble. I'm proud in my humility. I'm humble. Would never characterize ourselves as proud. But when we come face to face with God, when we refuse to obey God's word in our lives, however it comes, whether it comes from the pulpit like here, or whether it comes from my son, Tumbiko, or whether it comes from my daughter, Tami, who says, are you sure as a Christian you should be doing that? When I refuse to hear that word of God, Essentially, I'm putting myself above God and saying, Lord, I know better. And the Lord says, pride is a sin. Pride comes before a fall. When we choose to hold on to our pain, I know I've done that countless times, and I'm, and I'm praying to God to help me, you know, when you choose to hold on to your pain and somebody, somebody has hurt you and you say, mm, I've been forgiving this brother. Mm, I've been forgiving Pastor Sunda, mm, my husband. I've forgiven him all these other things, but this, I know. This is too much. When I choose what to forgive him, when I choose who to forgive, I say, oh, um, I forgive Pastor Sunga because I live with him and sometimes I might have to need something from him. But, um, you know, 
Sister Charlotte. I only see her on Sunday. After all, she's gone. She's not in my life that much. And yeah, no, 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 I choose not to forgive her. When I choose who and what to forgive, it means I'm being proud. I'm being disobedient. I'm setting myself up against the knowledge of God in my life. I'm giving way to a spirit of pride. I'm giving way to a spirit of disobedience. And when that is left unchecked, it begins to dig roots in me. Roots in my heart. Roots in my mind. And you know, the thing about plants and roots, they don't come with a bang. When they're growing, it doesn't come with a bang. Every root becomes like a tiny, 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 tiny single thread. Tiny enough to find a crack even in concrete. But as it goes through that tiny crack, it begins to grow. It begins to grow. When we don't uproot, you say, oh, there's something growing here. And if you don't uproot it, then, so I don't know, it's so small. By the time you try to uproot it, the roots have gone deep. And when you try to pluck it out, when the roots have gone so deep, that root will break. There's still a root down there. And that root will give rise to another plant. Have you seen that? In your houses, in your home, or wherever, you try to pluck something out and, 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 and you don't dig it by the roots and part of it stays there and it comes up again. It comes up again. So that's, that's the danger we run into when we choose the way of disobedience and choose the way of pride. When God says, this, there is this, my dear sister. There is this. Everything else you're doing well, but you've forgotten your first love. And you say, oh, but I'm not like, I'm like brother so-and-so, Eesh, that one is something else. So what does it take for us to be, to be fruitful? Let's turn to Jeremiah 1, verse 9 and 11. Jeremiah 1, verse 9 and 11. What it takes for us to be fruitful. I know I've touched on some of it already, but I just like the way the Lord puts it in Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah 1, verse 9 to 11. Says, and the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I've put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. So, I ask again, what does it take to be fruitful? What does it take to be a fruitful Christian? You need a tool. And you need a target. The two, we find it in, in verse 9 of Jeremiah 9. It says, He put out his hand, he reached out his hand, and touched my mouth, and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. I've put my words. It's the same thing that he did, the um, same word you find in Joshua 1 verse 8. 
this word, this my word, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. And I was wondering, mouth, Lord, mouth. And then when I went to Joshua 1 verse 8, it says, it shall not depart from your mouth. You meditate on it day and night. Meditate on the word of God, the book of the law. Pastor, a few weeks ago, was talking about the word of God being the law, the word of God being a command, the word of God being something that teaches us. Meditate on it. The whole book. Some of us maybe are more like the New Testament. Some of us, we like the Old Testament. But it's the whole book. Meditate on it. Because it complements one another. As you read the New Testament, as you go back into the Old Testament, um, they say it's the, 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 New Test, uh, the New Testament is in the Old Testament. It's foretold. And the Old Testament in the New Testament is revealed. They are one book, one word. So the word of God is our tool. The word of God is our tool for us to be fruitful. As we meditate on it, as we allow it to bear fruit in us, as we heed it, we read it, we heed it, we declare it, we obey it, it brings about fruitfulness. I'm reminded of a time when um, I was somewhere and uh, I just happened to be watching or the TV was tuned to Creflo Dollar. And even though I didn't start his message at the beginning, but he was sharing of a time when he um, had been struggling, a season in his life when he'd been struggling with depression. Depression? Creflo Dollar? Depression? This is he dies. What does he have to be depressed about? He's rich. He's famous. He's got, you know, his family. You know, everything that I am looking for. Well, fame maybe not so much, but just give me the money. I can eat my money in silence, you know, in the background, as long as I have the money. But he said he was depressed. And the only thing that got him through that depression was he went and he took scriptures. He took you know, different verses and he wrote them down. He wrote them down and he spoke them. He read them aloud to himself. He would read that scripture aloud to himself. Whenever that darkness, whenever that, that heaviness was coming upon him, he would read that scripture to himself. He wouldn't say, oh, I feel so bad. Oh, I'm so depressed. Oh, no, 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 no. He would read instead, force himself to read the word of God to himself. And for me, it was like, wow, okay. And he said, you know, there was times when I had to fight that battle, like every 50, every 10 minutes. I get that victory, I read that word of God, and I feel like, oh, Everything looks okay. And then 10 minutes later, the heaviness comes back. And I have to go back and say, you know, recite the word. Recite the word. Recite the word. Recite the word. And when that finishes, you know, I get 10 minutes and it comes back. And he has to keep on going on and on and on and on. Until the 10 minutes became like 30 minutes. And then it became one hour. And then it became two hours. Half a day. 
and then he'll get a, a whole day without feeling that heaviness. And then he'll get a whole week. And then, you know, you, before long, he had gotten the victory. That's not the end of it. The key is, the point is, going back to the word. You read it. You heed it. You speak it. You declare it. You obey it. There's some things, you know, I was sharing um, one day. Somebody asked a question um, in our CHF. I think it was two weeks ago. And uh, there was a question that asked, they, they had, this person had asked concerning uh, deliverers. So I was saying, you know, I've, I've come to learn that um, it's not a one-time thing because, you know, the more I read the word, the more, you know, when somebody is prayed for, for deliverance, yes, there, there, um, there is the part where the spirits, the evil spirits have to go. But then there's the part where, you know, you have to put in some things. The word of God, uh, I think it's in Luke where it says, you know, when the spirit goes out of a man, he goes out and he finds arid places and, you know, he says, hmm, I think where I was, it was much better. And he comes back and he sees that the house has been kept clean, your heart and your spirit are clean, and there's nothing in it. He will say, there's still a vacancy. He'll come, 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 come. And he gets stronger demons, demons much stronger than himself to come and occupy the space that had just been cleaned. And the state of that person is worse than he was before. So what do you feel with it? You feel it with the word of God. You feel it with actions. You feel it with obedience, you know. Um, I'll share this. There was a time when um, I was in that point where I was saying, Lord, you know, this is your son. In those moments when your husband becomes this your son to the Lord, this your son. he's not my husband, he's not honey, he's, not, he's this your son. You know, he's done this, he's did this, he's done this, he's done this. He says, yes, yes, Naomi, yes, yes. I want you to hit him on the head. Hit him on the head and show him what he's done to me, the kind of pain he's made me go through. God said, no, but let's talk about you, me. You, you don't understand. N and S are two different uh, letters in the alphabet. This is N. The one we're discussing now is S. So let's talk about S. And the Lord said, no, let's talk about N. My dear, you're better. Well, I'm not. I'm okay. You are. No, I, I forgive you. He says, okay, I want you to say something nice, complimenting. Lord, I have chimbatata. Chimbatata? You know that lump in your throat when, when somebody rubs you. I can't even think of anything. It's no try. And don't lie because you'll be adding to your sins. 
Lord. And I told him, unfortunately, for my pride, he was away, so he left me a WhatsApp. So I wrote him a WhatsApp. That was hard to obey. That was part of me after the Lord had taken out all the ugliness, all the deliverance and whatever. That was part of me refurnishing my heart with good things. There was another time he said, you know what? You went to this, um, I sent you to this man of God to help you, to pray for you. Yes, Lord. And this was when I was reading the word. Eh? I was in my room, minding my own business, reading the Old Testament, you know, stories. Stories, you know, they're safe. They're no commands. But I found myself reading the word of God, um, reading the story of Saul. How when he went to, he was looking for his father's donkeys and uh, they couldn't find him. So they said, well, let's, let's go and um, seek a man of God who can tell us where the donkeys are. And Saul said, um, we don't have anything to go with him. And his servant said, oh, no, I have some little money we can take with him. And the Lord spoke to me right there and said, Bam! You need to go back. This man of God who had prayed for you for deliverance over several sessions, I might add. You need to go to him. You need to give him a gift. A free will gift. No, Lord, I'm broke. And right there at that moment, he gave me this idea. And he gave Pastor the same idea. He says, okay, we need to do this. But until we had fulfilled that, it took like about, this was like after two years or so after I'd been prayed for. And when I was getting this message, and when I was able to fulfill this, this was like another year of the Lord speaking to me. The same thing. And now, that gift. That gift. That gift. Of course, when the, when the message came, we financially, we weren't in a position to, but uh, it kept on coming. It kept on coming. Until we said, we need to fulfill this. And we did. Now, spiritually, there were no bells and whistles and whatever. But for me, that is part of the furniture that I've put in my heart, in my life, to refurnish so that the devil does not find a foothold. When the devil comes, he finds that, oh, there is obedience. Oh, there is, instead of her brash talking, um, my tongue had a reputation to be very sharp. God for his grace. It's becoming born again. So now, for a sharp tongue, I'm learning to hold my tongue. I'm learning to say, but I want to respond, you know, like, I'm, I'm a D. And sometimes, I'm, I'm not, you know, my family knows me as, I'm not mushy-mushy. You know, 
Pastor is the gentle type. The hugger, the he he pastors. Me you want an axe? You cut down something? I'm your axe. So I'm learning that it's not every time that you have to be an axe. And I'm learning to withhold my axiness when I speak. I'm learning to... Sometimes it's not... uh, You don't have to say everything. You know? I don't always get it. I admit it. I'm still a work in progress. But... I look back and I say, God, uh, okay, I'm not where I was yesterday. So that's a good thing. That's all part of that. It's all part of that. That's what the word does. That's what the word does to us. That's the tool we have. Those are just some of the examples that you know, the word of God works in our lives. We talked about the two. Let's talk about the target. I said, you know, two things. Fruitfulness looks like in a believer. There are two things. You have the tool, the word of God, and the target. When you go to verse 10 of Jeremiah 1, verse 10, it says, Today I appoint you, see today I appoint you over the nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. To build and to plant. Who are these nations and kingdoms? In Ephesians 6, verse 12, the Bible says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, the powers, and rulers of this dark age, of rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness. These are things that are at play in the world around us. These are things that were at play in our lives and that still striving to get a hold of us. You know, like, you know, that scripture I referred to where, you know, a a person was delivered of an evil spirit. And that evil spirit went and it still wants to come and to gain a foothold. Those are the principalities. Those are the kingdoms. Those are the, the rulers. And not just that. It's the flesh as well. Our flesh, me. Most times when you talk about principalities and rulers, we think about the principalities out there. The, the prince of Persia that Daniel was um, striving against. But I believe the Lord wants us to look inward today. The principalities that we've, we've allowed to reign in our lives. The kingdoms, the nations that we have allowed to reign in our lives. When the children of Israel were were taken from Egypt to go into the promised land, they told them, go and completely destroy. They were given specific instructions. It was only the land of the Moabites, I think, the Ammonites, because these were descendants of Lot, and it was the land of the Edomites, because these were their brothers, 
these were the descendants of Esau. They said, no, these lands I've not given them to you. But every, everyone else, they are Malachites. They, whatever kites. All the kites and the knights and the heights, they were to destroy. But, you know, because of not walking in step with God, there were some things that they were not, some people, some nations, some kingdoms, they were not able to, to destroy. They were not able to rule out. An example, and that's because they didn't constantly seek after God. I'm reminded of Joshua when he was deceived by the Gibeonites, I think, who came to him and they said, eh, you know, the way these Israelites are coming, they are coming like a wave of fire and they're just destroying everything in their path. So what are we going to do for us to be saved? You know what? Let's pretend that we are people from a far country who take molded bread and old shoes and whatever. And they went to Joshua and he said, we are your humble servants. We are from very far. And we just want to make a treat with you because we know the Lord is with you and so on and so forth. And you know what Joshua did? All along, he would seek the face of God. But at that point, he didn't. He left the word of God. At that point, he wasn't connected to the vine anymore. At that point, he made that decision disconnected from the vine as a branch. And he was deceived. And after he had made a treaty with them, after he had made a treaty with them, then he discovers these are our neighbors. We were supposed to destroy them. But the deed was already done. And for the life of them, they could never, even after Joshua had died, they could never destroy them. Because going back on that treaty would invoke a curse on the children of Israel. As Saul tried to do it. They were cursed. Sanctioned by God. So they had things there are things that happened in the spiritual world that we don't fully understand as children of God. The Bible says, as children of God, we, 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 we live life, you know, just like normally things that we, we just say, oh, yeah, I go to church, I do this, I do that. But children of darkness, they understand the principles and the laws of the spirit world, they understand that we are not just physical beings, we are spiritual beings, and there are certain things that we do in the physical that might look simple, certain words that we can say in the physical that might look simple, but in the spirit, they are creating things. In the spirit, they are becoming established. In the spirit, it's a covenant. That might take blood to break. So those are things that you need to be aware of. The principalities, the kingdoms. Those are the things that we wrestle against. Principalities, principalities from like for me, I'm Naomi. Now I'm Naomi Manjolo, but uh, I come from my father. Um, I was Manda. 
There's a nation of Mandas that I come from. Their blood runs through my veins. There's a nation of Bandas that I come from. Their blood runs through my veins. Bandas on my mother's side. Their blood runs through my veins. And they are rule, like, rules or codes of conduct or things that we identify with. As a Christian, yes. But I don't touch me, Nyamanda. No, when I don't allow the word of God to touch the nyamanda in me, there's a problem. Especially if it, if it goes against the word of God. When I don't allow the word of God to break and to uproot some of the kingdoms and the principalities, we've, we've acquired, we've made alliances, eh? allegiances along the way. One of the things the Lord spoke to me about was, you know what, Naomi? I know you've had some issues growing up. And I know we all have stories. There are things we've grown up with. And pastor talks about how poor they were and how they had to, you know, eat masamba and jinangwa and all those things. And as you're trying to survive, you, 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 you take on things. You take on mindsets. You take on. You you look at you you look at sometimes your family you, the family history and you say ah this one did this not me. I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to be like my mother. I'm not going to be like my father. You're establishing what roots. You're establishing kingdoms and principalities that have to have, that have to come face to face with God. They have to come face to face with the word of God. For me, it was about looking up out for myself. Come on, be strong. Come on, be strong. Come on, be strong. I say this with shame, but to make a point. I remember. It was so bad. I'm just saying this to show you how bad it was. And Pastor Sunga came to me and uh, we were in college. And he came to me and said, you know what? Um, when he asked me out and we, we had started, we had already started our relationship and one day Earlier on in our relationship, I was standing there. You remember that time? <laughs> and I stood there. Now, this is the kingdoms and principalities in me, eh? The kingdoms that said, I'll take care of myself. I'm not going to be weak. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be this. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to do this. So I told him, I said, you know what? I can take care of myself. But I just want to know whether you are up for the job. I said that to him. Now that was a mindset that I had. And unfortunately, I didn't realize that I was taking that mindset. Even in our marriage, I took that mindset. 
on the outside, I was submissive. But on the inside, you know, when he does something, and you know, women, when you tell your husband and you, they, you feel they should go this way and they're taking their sweet time, you just go in. Let me do it. The Lord had to speak to me and then he had to let the word of God break that principality that I had set in me. For me to bear fruit, he had to break some of that. In Jeremiah 10, as in Jeremiah 10, I mean Jeremiah 1 verse 10, we are to root out. He gives us a prescription of how we're to do this with the word of God. You root out, or other versions say uproot. You root out. Root out what? All foolishness, evil tendencies, and principalities. Job 5 verse 3 tells us that foolishness takes root. Foolishness takes root. And you know what foolishness is? Foolishness is any wisdom that is against anything. That goes against the word of God. The wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. That's foolishness. The wisdom of this world says, if somebody hurts you, you hurt them back. The wisdom of this world says, mm, yes, you are one, but uh, your money is your money. Eh? The wisdom of this world says, <laughs> Brother Liv, you're laughing. Yes. That's the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of this world says, ah, if, 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 your, if your husband is taking so long, in, if, if he doesn't obey you, just do it. I was shocked one time when some friends of mine, classmates really, uh, they, were taught, they were taking, they were studying divinity, and they were saying, you know, do you realize that the scripture, the curse that Eve was given, Genesis to say, your desire shall be over your husband. That's not quite the interpretation that it is. The real interpretation is, your desire shall be to rule over your husband. Now, women, am I the only one who struggles with that? Am I? You're blessed. The only one. Your desire shall be to rule over your husband. But the word of God is clear. He is above me and I'm below him. When I come to church, the pastor is above me and I'm below him. When I'm in a group and there is a leader, if I'm, if when I'm at praise team, you know, we have Deacon Martin who is our leader. He is above me and I'm below him. And I'm supposed to obey them. I'm supposed to submit to them. No matter how tall, whether I'm taller than them or I, 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 I think quicker than them or, or whatever. But I'm supposed to obey them. So I have to root out. Root out that foolishness. Root out that mindset that, uh, that sets itself above the knowledge of God. If God said submit... The wisdom of this world says no equal rights. We're not equal. I'm sorry. I'm 
we're not equal. And I'm not saying that we, you know, we shouldn't have equal opportunities, but we're different. God has made us differently. We've got different strengths. Our bodies do things differently. There are certain things and certain places. I, as a woman, with the way my body operates, I wouldn't like to be. I would like to be somewhere where I can be comfortable. That's just the way it is. I can't change the biology, even though other people are changing it. So I have to be secure enough in my position that, you know, by the fact that God has placed himself over my husband and my husband over me, it doesn't mean I'm a doormat. Because my husband has got a, has got a, a bigger responsibility of making sure he loves me, he is considerate with me, of making sure that he cleanses me with the word daily. So I have to root out every foolishness, every evil tendency, every principality that I've allowed to take, take shape or to become established within me. And it's a daily thing. It's an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing thing because there's always that bombardment that comes to us. I have to pull down. That's number two. Pull down imaginations that set themselves above the knowledge of God. Second Corinthians 10 verse 5 and Romans 12 verse 2. Imaginations that say, I can't forgive. Imaginations that say, oh, I wish I wasn't married to him. Ah, oh, I made a mistake. Ish. Or ish. You know? Or this, whatever. Whatever imaginations that are against God. Imagination or imagination, you know what? Our marriage is beyond repair. Uh, it's, 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 just, it's just not going to work. We're too different. Somebody once said that to me. We're too different. There was a time we came to that point, even with Pastor. We can smile to get, you know, at each other like now, but there was a time we, we almost killed each other. But the only thing that kept me going. In those moments, we said, as long as night and day endure, springtime and whatever endure, the seasons endure, as long as the word of God endures, I'm going to stick it out. Because I don't want to have come all this way and I give up. And then some, some lady comes and walks in on my hard work. No, I'm going to stick around. I'm going to stick around and reap the fruits. Even if, even if it means I have to hold my tongue, even if it means I have to be submissive, even if it means I have to be patient for I don't know how many years, but I'm going to stick around. Because God says there's nothing that is difficult with him. And as long as I obey him, as long as I do things his way, things will work out. Pull down imaginations. Number three, destroy. Destroy. Sister Violet, when she was leading us in prayer this morning, she talked about destroying idols. Idols you don't pull down. No, 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 no. You destroy them. Idols, you destroy them. Idols, and she said, idols are something that is anything that takes your way, your attention, your devotion from God. 
destroy it. And we all have our idols, our jobs, our looks, our family, our whatever it is. You know, our entertainment, idols, destroy them. Destroy every dress or item of wickedness. There was a time, Pastor, I think some years back, he he preached about tokens. There are some tokens that they shouldn't even be in your house. Tokens from from people or from, you know, uh, from places. You know how we go, sometimes we travel and you go to Egypt and you bring back a token, the pyramids, or you go to China and you bring back some, I love chimes, I love wind chimes. You go back to, you go to China, you bring some wind chimes. They're tokens. Tokens that symbolize some form of idolatry. Destroy them. No matter how expensive they are, destroy them. And then throw down, lastly. Number four, throw down. To throw down is to forcibly remove from power. Other versions say to overthrow. To overthrow. You know, when you have a coup d'etat, it means that government has been overthrown. Their power has been taken out. They have no authority. They can no longer be obeyed. Throw down. Throw down evil things, evil kingdoms, evil governments in our lives. Whether those governments come in the form of family lineage or family tendencies or family whatever, but if that that is coming against the word of God in your life, that is coming against, let's say, for instance, in your family, it's going against your marriage, for instance. Throw it down. Overthrow it. Don't allow it to have its way in your life. Don't allow it to continue speaking and you obeying what they're saying. Throw it down. Obey the word of God. I don't know what the word of God is saying to you. But I believe he's saying something to you as he's saying to me. And lastly, after we've done all this destruction, you've uprooted the evil roots and the foolishness. You've pulled down the imagination. You've destroyed every trace of wickedness and idolatry. You've thrown down all those wicked governments that you've been submitting to. You put on a new self of righteousness as revealed in the word. You put on a new self of righteousness as revealed in the word. Now, there are general things that, you know, general fruits of the Spirit that we all have to abide with. Love, joy, peace, patience, you know, goodness. We all have to abide by those and to make sure that we're exhibiting those. But sometimes when it comes to the nitty-gritties, there are some things that maybe the Lord might want you to specifically take note of and to specifically put on. For me, it was taming my tongue. It was razor sharp. I think now it's become a knife. eh? Isn't it fast? (laughs) Yeah, but it's taming that tongue, making it blunt, and making it slow to speak. You know? 
slow to speak. Even when you have been provoked, even when you have cause to, slow to speak. Let's just read lastly, um, oh, not last but not least, um, Luke 11, verse 24 to 26. That's our last but one scripture. Luke chapter 11, verse 24 to 26. This is a scripture that I referred to before about an impure spirit. It says, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places. Arid, now, arid, arid places are places that are not comfortable. Arid places are like desert places. They're not, you know, places you want to be in. So it goes through arid places and it seeks rest, but it doesn't find them. Then it says, I'll return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Why is it important to not just destroy, to be delivered, to be, to, to, to pull down, to uproot? There has to be a planting. There has to be an acquiring. If you take out wrong mindset, you have to take on new mindset. Because if you just say, I've taken out the wrong mindset and you don't adopt a godly mindset, then it's only a matter of time because, before you go back to your wrong mindsets. And, 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 and you have to put, you have to put, I have to put a higher power as my authority now. Christ, I have to consciously make Christ as a higher power in my life. As it says in, in, in Luke 11, verse 24 to 26. So, what does fruitfulness looks like, look like in the life of a believer? Let's turn to go back to verse, chapter 8 of Luke, the same book of Luke. Verse 15 in closing. It's a parable of the sower. It says, But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Fruitfulness in the life of a believer is about these three things. You hear the word. However, whether you're reading on your own, whether it's through preaching, whether somebody comes to share with you, whether you hear it on TV or whatever, but you hear the word. Number two, retain it. That means you let the word, you meditate on the word. You just don't hear it, even though it may be painful, even though it may hit a nerve. But you return it, you retain it. You meditate on it. You speak to it. You think about it. And then, by persevering, you persevere. Persevere is a word that comes up 
a lot of times in the word, in the Bible. We are told to persevere. We're told to have patience. We're told to hold on. Only by returning, hearing and returning alone won't do it. But we have to add on to it perseverance. Perseverance is what gets you through those silent moments. Perseverance is what gets us through um, times when it looks like nothing is happening. Perseverance is what made the prophet Elijah to pray seven times. He spoke. You know when he was pro- pronouncing the curse on Israel? He just spoke the word. There will not be rain for three years in this land. Done. No lightning, nothing. But when the three years were over, for that curse to be broken, what did he do? He had to go on the, on the mountain with his head between his, uh, his legs and wrestle with God in prayer. He wrestled, he wrestled, he wrestled. God, break this. And he sends his servant, can you go and check? What do you see? Nothing, sir. He wrestled again. He wrestled again. He had heard the word of God. He had accepted it. That now was the time to break the curse. But he had to persevere seven times before he could see a tiny glimpse of God's word. So I charge all of us, including myself, it is my prayer that as we continue to hear the word of God, as we, we should have that heart not just to hear it, but to retain it. And not just to retain it, but to persevere. Paul puts it nicely. Forgetting what is behind. We've all made mistakes. Forgetting what's behind. We press on towards the goal that has been set before me. Amen. God bless you.